Every time I turn around, he seems to be celebrating your goal. Alan is meant to be the difference in the Champions League. You know, they want one when it's a tight semi-final. He'll score one in a tight semi-final too. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Time for us now to have a look ahead to tomorrow's game between Ireland and England on the final day of this year's Six Nations Championship. Should Ireland inflict a third successive defeat on England tomorrow evening, it would secure a first championship in Grand Slam since 2018 and a first on Irish soil since 1948. Having drawn level as the top scorer in the championship's history with Ron Nogara last week, the Ireland captain Johnny Sexton, who had his family at the captain's run earlier today, is in line to break the record in his last competitive international game at the Aviva. More good news from the Irish camp earlier. Gary Ringrose was able to take part in training uh, after the head knock that he picked up in Murrayfield last week. England come into the game on the back of a home record 53 points to 10 defeat to France at Twickenham last weekend. And delighted to say we're joined now with the BBC's Chris Jones ahead of the final weekend of the Championship. Chris, how are you getting on? Yeah, how's it going, Will? I'm at the uh, the auditorium in the bowels of the Aviva Stadium. Just been listening to Owen Farrell, the England captain, speak. Richard Cockrell, the, uh, the forwards coach as well. And yeah, all the excitement building up for uh, a big one tomorrow. Yeah, the Irish team made their way into town. Uh, so they were getting ice cream a little bit earlier on in the middle of town. I think they went in to have a quick look at the parade after the uh, open session at the Aviva a little bit earlier on today and seemed a very relaxed atmosphere around it. You're down there at the Aviva now. We were looking at um, Owen Farrell's son, uh, the grandson, of course, of uh, Andy Farrell, who was there. Uh, they were having family moments. Johnny Sexton's family had gone along to watch as well. Um, the Irish camp seemed very, very relaxed going into a huge game tomorrow with the potential to land a championship. Yeah, it's a funny bit as well in the in the Owen Farrell press conference today when he was asked about his son being at the Ireland press conference, at the Ireland team run, I should say. And he said he didn't know about that, but because they're staying at Andy's place, um, it's kind of Andy Farrell's rules this weekend. So yeah, it, it, it's been... Um, yeah, I think to, to, today for, for England and uh, Farrell and, and Cockrell, it was about yeah making sure that, that people know they, can, they believe and they can win and they can upset the odds and they can upset the party. Because, as you say, there is this feeling around the island camp that destiny is, it, it awaits for them. You know, I've been in Dublin since yesterday morning and it's a party atmosphere. I was in Temple Bar last night for research purposes only. <laughs> and it was, it was amazing. And you feel it's, the, it's, a, it's a St. Patrick's Day party that's in full swing and will kind of be capped off as well by Ireland winning the Grand Slam. England are here to wreck the party. That, that's what they, they have to come in with the mindset they can win. They can't go into this game thinking, oh, let's just make up the numbers, keep it to 15 or 20. They've got to come in thinking they can win. Do they have the, the tactical plan to do that? We'll wait and see. But certainly the noises from the England camp are that, that, that they're coming to win and they're not just um, not just coming to be a part of the Irish party. I hope when it comes to the Irish party coming over on St. Patrick's again that the BBC expenses account is very generous if you're going for Temple Bar points on the eve of St. Patrick's Day. I need to make this really clear, you know, that there'll be there'll be no um, expenses expenses scandal here. You know, we, we're, the BBC's the BBC's budget is understandably quite tight. So, yeah, we were just having a little bit of a walk around to see what's going on and trying to soak it up because it was it, it, it genuinely for people who don't know much about St. Patrick's Day um, or who haven't been in, in Dublin. I was here four years ago, but it was right at the start of the championship. I think 2017 it was at the end. So it's been a while since 
since England were here. And it is an awesome few days. It's uh, it's completely unique. We don't have anything like that in in England, you know, when it comes to St. George's Day. So it's 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 really cool and really special. Um, and, and England just have to hope that this Irish team somehow get, get caught up in the in the party, in the party atmosphere. I don't think they will. That was Andy Farrell's big message here in this very seat yesterday, that they're not here to sort of feed the circus and, and be part of this whole picture that's being painted of, of, of an Irish party time. Um, but Ireland, uh, England have to somehow hope that, that Ireland players are almost thinking a little bit too much about what could happen come seven o'clock, a first Grand Slam in Dublin ever, a second Grand Slam ever on Irish soil. First Six Nations Grand Slam being one at home, you know, Cardiff in 09 and Twickenham at 18. This is going to be a, a, an amazing occasion for these Irish players if they get the job done. Um, and we'll see if what kind of game England have and what kind of reaction England have to France. They have promised a reaction. And they need a reaction because another chastening day would, would cause you know, because for so many questions about English rugby from top to bottom. Yeah, because I've never known the mood music to be quite as dampened as it is right now. We were chatting to Matt Dawson earlier this week on the show and he said he would be happy enough if England were to get home with just a 10 or 12 point defeat. Um, if you think four years ago, you mentioned that trip here in February, that's when the air went out of the Irish balloon at the start of 2019. England won three games in a row in London after that across uh, 2020 and 2021. And Ireland have reversed the last couple of fixtures back since. But consider this has been such a competitive fixture over the last five, six years. I've never known England to be so downbeat going into a game against Ireland anywhere. And it's amazing how it's turned around, isn't it, Will? Because I remember those games in 2020, the Autumn Nations Cup game, England, I think, were 18-0 winners. The 2026 Nations game, which was just before COVID, Eddie Jones at the time said they could have declared at half-time. The 2019 game, do you remember that 2019 warm-up? When Ireland, well, England absolutely took Ireland to the cleaners in that warm-up game in, in August at Twickenham. So there were four games in a row where England were head and shoulders above Ireland. And to think that Ireland had been going like that and England have been going like that pretty much since that kind of 2020 period. And now we have this narrative, which is very much the, the case that everyone is expecting Ireland to win. It, it seems as if we are talking understandably about this Irish team being one of the greatest of all time. We're talking about problems bigger than the England rugby team, structural, systemic issues in the English game. And it is remarkable how things have moved from that 2019-2020 period to 2023 and Steve Borthwick when I spoke to him yesterday did reference that with Ireland and France you've got two teams who have just built steadily almost inexorably since the last World Cup whereas for England they've gone one way they've gone the other they've stuttered they've stumbled and they found themselves here them, themselves here regime change new coaches and another rebuild it's tough on England fans it feels like they've been rebuilding for the last three or four years but that's the reality and it is just remarkable how the two kind of fortune the fortunes of the two sides have gone in completely different uh, directions uh, through this World Cup cycle Yeah Johnny Wilkinson was saying on ITV after the game last week he was there with Clive Woodward on the post-match and he was saying look he was there for heavy defeats against New Zealand and against South Africa and they just had to um, pull themselves back up but in those occasions they weren't as far into a World Cup cycle as England are right now and there's so many question marks about England you know like last week it looked like Marcus Smith was going to be backed and Smith was going to be the 10 leading into the World Cup and that backing was going to be there and George Ford wasn't going to come in and now this week we're looking at Owen Farrell coming back into the team and Tuolagi picked at 12 it seems so late to be trying to reset everything with the World Cup on the horizon yeah, it is. And it, it's been, I mean, is it too harsh to say it's been a wasted few years? It's never a waste. There's always players coming through. There's always experience. There's always, you know, 
there have been a handful of decent performances in that time, but 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 it is starkly different to what France and Ireland have done over the course of the last three years. And England and Wales are kind of in the category of just you know going up and down and up and down throughout this whole period since the last World Cup. Then a regime change, and then new coaches trying to to, to salvage things. England would have probably liked to have more of a of a kind of new coach bounce they didn't quite get that I do wonder if they'd won that Scotland game they could have then been three from three and that would have built a, a bit more confidence but they were confident going into that France game that they'd, they'd had a gutsy win in Wales a bit against a, a a poor Wales team so to be blown away like that we will see tomorrow how debilitating that is going to be for England's 2023 as a whole looking forward to the World Cup because there was a lot of positive mood music around the, the squad ahead of France. It wasn't like people have at the time gone, look, this England team is going to get taken to the cleans by France. A lot of people, pundits, ex-players, us in the media, felt that England had a very good chance against France. So to lose by 50 and be so badly beaten, that can that can knock you completely off your stride and it can end international careers. And it was interesting, both yesterday when I asked him about kind of going a game with the same forward pack, apart from Ollie Chesson, who's injured and Ribbon's in, his message was, now they know the standard, these forwards. Now they know the intensity required at the highest level of international rugby. And if you switch off for a second like England did, it's seven points. And England switched off a few times and suddenly they're chasing the scoreboard, they're 30, 40, 50 down. So he's giving the forwards another chance to show, right, now they know the standards and now they know what's required of them. And it's such a big day for English rugby tomorrow. It's huge for Ireland. It's massive. It's historic, potentially. But for English rugby, it's, right, was France an aberration? Was it a blip? Was it good players playing badly? Or is this a team that is just, you know, going to really limp into that World Cup and will struggle to get out their pool? I think we'll get quite a few answers to that big question come five o'clock here tomorrow. Yeah, because when you look at that pack, there are players there who've played in World Cup finals. There are players there who've played big games with their clubs, who've played for the Lions uh, across particularly, um, you mentioned Ribbons coming in the second row, but you've got Moro Itaji, has got so much experience. That front row is full of experience. It's the back row, Chris, who've taken quite a bit of criticism during the championship, I think even going back to the Scotland game. And again, he's pretty much stuck with them and he's talked about the fact that he feels this is going to work out. Um, I don't know, what have you made of the way the back row played for England in the championship so far? Well, against France, it was complete mismatch wasn't it I mean what Cross Olivon and Aldrit did was show them what being a world class test match back row is all about Lewis Ludlam's been decent this championship I don't think we can suddenly praise Ludlam for his performances for three games admittedly against weaker opposition in the case of, of Italy and Wales especially um, but you know Ludlam was going alright and Ludlam had a good game in Cardiff uh, and then, you know, struggled, gave away an early penalty. I think that was England's problem. They just started so poorly. They were 10-0 down before they blinked. And the Borthwick game plan at Leicester, and we're still waiting to work out how much of, you know, this is Steve Borthwick, the coach, how much of that was what he had at Leicester because of his the resources he, he had at his disposal. How much will his game plan change for England? We're still working that out. It's only been four matches. But if they are going to play a territory game, they are going to play a pressure game, they can't be chasing the scoreboard. And they were 10-0 down before they even blinked. So they have to rectify that tomorrow. England cannot let Ireland start quick. Because if suddenly it's 14-0, and we know Ireland often, you know, one shoot kills, they can get into opposition territory, one entry to the 22, and make it count with a seven-pointer. If England are 14-0 down, it's going to be a, a, a disastrous day. 
But if they can score first, get some confidence, that's what they need to do to get away into the game. So I think with the back row, Ludlam gave away an early penalty, cost field position. You know, Don Brown made a couple of mistakes. Um, Jack Willis couldn't influence the ball on the floor, normally his area of expertise, because France, were when they were carrying, had so much purpose. And then, you know, defensively, France were all over England's breakdown. So I think it was just a, a bad day at the office. I don't think Ludlam and Willis are poor players. I think Don Brandt's an interesting one who's had some heat because of one or two high-profile mistakes he made in the game is he a number eight more suited to playing wider in the wide expanses like he does for harlequins on the front foot and then in traffic do england need a kind of bigger number eight like billy vanapola the trouble is you look around the premiership loads of players at england's disposal in the prem but at number eight there's a lot of non-english players in those key positions so eight has been a problem for england for ages a lot of reliance on billy vanapola big day for alex dombrand he's one of those guys you feel that if he stands up he could be a bit, you know, be in the squad come the World Cup. But if he fades, he could just be one of those three, four, or five England players that tomorrow could be quite a, a crucial day in their whole test test match career development. Manu Tuolagi has been somewhat of a lucky charm for England against Ireland. He's played six games, undefeated in those six matches he's played in. His selection, you know, despite maybe the suspension taking him out of game time at an important time going into this year, the injuries he's had over the last while as well, I would think that Bordwick is bringing him in for the intensity and the physicality that he was talking about yesterday. For sure. And uh, I think if Ollie Lawrence had been fit, he would probably have started Lawrence because he's been effusive in his praise of Ollie Lawrence. And this is the weird thing about England's Six Nations. And maybe this is England fans and those of us who cover the England team clutching at straws. There have been a few little areas or few individuals such as an Ollie Chesham, such as an Ollie Lawrence, who have stood up and played some decent stuff. Are they ready against the very best? Probably not. Could they get there? Time will tell. Tuolangi has got the aura, he's got the experience, he's got the influence, but is this the Manu Tuolangi we saw rampaging back in 2011 in that World Cup warm-up game way back when, as an early 20, you know, in his early 20s, or even in 2019 when he managed to get fit after years of, of injury problems and he was flying through 2019 with that, that prolonged spell in the England midfield. This is a Manu Tulangi in 2023. He's not been ripping up trees for sale. He's coming back from a ban. He's hardly played any rugby. Borthwick was concerned about the amount of rugby Marcus Smith had played, so concerned he sent him back to his club to get 80 and took him out of camp. We've got a situation with Tuolangi where I don't know if any of us really know how he's going to shape up, what kind of sharpness he's got, what kind of physicality he's he's able to to exert on the Irish. That is a big question. I mean, a fully fit fire money Tuolangi, what an asset. That would be awesome for England. Is he there? That's the nagging question. Yeah, we all kind of wondered about the Marcus Smith situation here because once he'd been taken out of three days of the camp uh, to go back and play for his club, we're thinking maybe that means that Owen Farrell has already nailed on to start against France as a result because surely, um, and maybe we're coloured by our experience here in Ireland where players go into camp and if they're going to play, they're not released back to play for the provinces and they stay around the team set up for the week. We kind of thought if you want Smith to play at 10 against France, Surely, whatever about concerns you'd have about game time, you'd want him to be there to running all those lines and training for as long as possible that week. I'd have thought so, yeah. And, and I, I've said loads of times across um, our BBC platforms that it, it took took me by surprise. I think it took a lot of fans by surprise, a lot of journalists by surprise, because as you say, Will, we're kind of conditioned, and maybe this is our problem and we need to you know, snap out of it, um, but we're kind of conditioned 
to coaches telling us time in camp is sacrosanct. That's why the RFU go and have deep negotiations with the clubs over player release. It's why in 2016, there was a 220 million quid agreement to guarantee access to players in fallow weeks, in the week building up to tournaments. So it, it, it was a very unusual state of affairs to have Smith going back. In the end, Borthwick was true to his word. He said he needed game time. He got game time. Was Smith the problem against France? Obviously not. England were being blown away at the contact area and France's ability to score tries all different ways, whether it's set moves or counter-attack, England couldn't live with. Would the scoreline have been different with Farrell at 10? May have been a, a little bit different on the scoreline. He may have made a few different decisions in that first half, but this wasn't Marcus Smith's problem at all. But I agree. I thought it was strange to play Smith given it felt like they were building something with that Farrell Lawrence Slade midfield that had played three games in a row or a couple of games in a row, not the Scotland game, but the Italy and Wales game. But, you know, Borthwick probably had a you know, feeling that they needed to get the ball wider. They needed to stretch France. They needed to maybe take a risk to beat the French. And Smith was the man to, 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 to try and provide that. It didn't quite work out, but that wasn't on Marcus Smith. That was a, a whole team thing. Having said that, I reckon this was always the plan to play Farrell in Dublin. Borthwick's talking a lot about horses for courses selection, whether that's the right way to go about it come the World Cup, we'll probably see more consistency in selection. Um, but I think Farrell was always slated to start this game out in Dublin, a place he's played before. And, you know, he captains the side. And on the evidence of his press conference today, he means business. I'm interested in an outside perspective on Ireland going into this game, because look at how comfortable we are. And uh, sometimes some of our listeners this week and in the YouTube comments, people are saying that Ireland are being overconfident. And I listen back to Brian O'Driscoll, who sat down with us for an hour on Tuesday and said the reason that Ireland can be confident is that they've met so many different types of adversity during this championship and it's not been a problem. Um, Andy Farrell mentioned that they were almost laughing at their misfortune with injuries in Murrayfield last week where you know, Caelan Doris has gone off probably the, Ireland's most impressive performer of the Six Nations so far. Both hookers get injured. Keane Healy has to go in to play as number two which he hasn't done since school. Uh, you had him practising throws. Uh, you had Van der Fleer in the end the World Player of the Year having to throw the ball in quite conservatively during the match and yet that didn't deter Ireland's performance and they kept Scotland without a score in the second half. From an outside perspective have Ireland been as impressive as we are seeing through green tinted glasses here? Yeah, I mean, 100%. If they win this championship with a bit to spare tomorrow, it'll be the most impressive Six Nations, I think, championship victory ever. You know, Russ Petty, the stats guru, has, has put it on, on Twitter. I think there's England in 1992 that would compare statistically in terms of number of points they've won all their games by. England in 03 were a phenomenal side. And I think their performance in Dublin was one of the great Six Nations displays. And I would put that and France last week into the, into the top tier bracket of all time Six Nations performances. But if Ireland, say Ireland win by 10 or 15 tomorrow, it would mean that their closest game would have been that France one, which they won by, what, 13 odd points. Mm. So they're almost winning every game by two scores minimum. We'll see what tomorrow throws up. I mean, I did say to, you know, to, to, to Murray Kinsler from the 42 on the, the Rub Union Daily um, that went out this morning. Is this not all feeling a bit too easy? You know, Grand Slams are meant to be hard. You're meant to go to the well. Look at 2009 in Cardiff with the drop goal, Steve Jones, the drop goal, O'Gara, the long range penalty from Jones drops under the crossbar, belted out of play, Ireland celebrate. They breathe. That's how Grand Slams are meant to be won. They're not meant to be won, you know, by, by 20, 25 points in front of a, a triumphant home crowd on St. Patrick's Day weekend. It's all written for England. The, the nagging doubt I have from a neutral's point of view is, 
you know, should, when was the last time we saw a team go and absolutely blitz a slam? It was probably England in 03 winning 42-6 here. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's any complacency creeping into the Ireland camp. It felt like every single utterance from Andy Farrell yesterday was designed to ensure that, was designed to say, however well we're playing, we can be better. However well we're cleaning the breakdown, we can be more efficient. However good our set pieces, it can be more accurate. However accurate we are, effective we are, ruthless we are, we can do those better. That was the message from Farrell. He seems determined to make sure that this is not that peak that maybe we saw with Ireland in the New Zealand game November 2018, started to fall off a cliff in 2019. He wants this to be steadily climbing up the mountain and peaking at that World Cup final. That's the Farrell vision, clearly. And everything he's been saying in the last 24 hours has been designed to play down the party atmosphere we're all feeling around the city. But you can't you can't stop the fans getting excited. They're going to get excited. How often does it happen that England come to town looking to wreck a party? In the past, it's been Ireland wrecking a party, like in 2017 when England were going for the, the record back-to-back slams and that long winning run. So it's, 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 it's special times for Irish rugby. The fans have to enjoy it, but they've got to make sure they get the job done first. And I think the players and coaches are, are well aware that, that they've got to shut out the external noise, shut out that confidence from everyone that I'm speaking to around the town and get the job done. Just on a very final note on that emotion, huge day for Johnny Sexton tomorrow. His last competitive game at the Viva Stadium in the Irish shirt. I'm not sure entirely if he'll play in the World Cup warm-ups anyway, but he'll be hoping he gets back there at club level later in the year for a European Cup final. But it's a huge day for him because he's going to go past O'Gara's record and also he's got that potential. One of those check marks he had that he wanted to end before his career came to an end, which was to lift a Six Nations Championship as Ireland captain. He's got a golden opportunity to lead his team to a Grand Slam on what's going to be a very emotional day for him tomorrow, even if he said earlier this week that he's going to divorce all the emo- emotion before kickoff for himself. Yeah, and I think that they're aware. Look, they're aware of it. This is this was Farrell said yesterday. He said, I can't say it's any other game because it's not. And Sexton will know this is this is his last time running out of the Aviva. And it's it's a chance to win the Grand Slam on his home patch, in his home province, as Ireland captain. It's written in the stars. It's the kind of fairy tale that the pro athletes rarely get. Um, we'll see if the World Cup throws up the, the the fairy tale of all fairy tales for Johnny Sexton. But yeah, he'll be aware of what's at stake. He'll be aware of of this potentially being the most special day in his rugby career or, or in the, the top bracket of of the best moments he's ever experienced as a player. Um, but, you know, he, he, he like Farrell, they seem to be kind of on, really on the same page, not kind of, they seem to be really on the same page in terms of their mindset, in terms of their mentality, in terms of their their thirst for getting better, their thirst for improvement. And Sexton's not letting up. It was interesting here, Owen, Owen Farrell talked today about his admiration and how Sexton's doing it at 37 38 in the summer, still reaching those heights is kind of a, an example to every other player who wants to play deep into their 30s. So huge day for Johnny Sexton. It'll be fitting if he did lift the trophy at the end of it at seven o'clock and, and, and soak up all of the adulation and be with his family and, and really revel in it. Uh, but yeah, like Andy Farrell, he, he's been repeating the message this week that you know, the performance comes first before any of the other stuff. Yeah, watch out Ariel players when he plays for St Mary's next season. Our rugby coverage here on Off the Ball with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We're all in the team of us. Chris, enjoy the rest of your weekend in Ireland. Thanks a million. Will do. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Rugby on Off the Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.